welcome to the Teachers Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm the host of a Teachers Toolkit for Literacy. In every toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. And welcome, Phil. Thanks, Sharon. Great to be here. And welcome to this podcast called Engaging Readers and Writers Through Book Club. And a very warm welcome to our special guest, Dr Jan Turbill. Jan is an accomplished educator with a remarkable career ranging from teaching in classrooms to supporting university students at the foundation of their careers to achieving amazing success at the policy level in education. She is currently Honorary Senior Fellow, School of Education at the University of Wollongong. Hi Jan, how are you? Good. I'm well, thank you. Very well. And what have you been up to lately? Well, to be very honest, Phil, I, you retired. I spend more time, yeah. probably I'm retired and I spend more time doing, um, I'm the treasurer for our little local Lions Club, so I spend more time working on projects and doing the books and so on for Lions. I'm not a treasurer, but I've learned fast. And you had a, a really busy time in education over those years, um, doing quite a variety of things, didn't you? Oh, yes, yeah, including working overseas and um, teaching in America and so on, yes. And I suppose this podcast is a bit of a way of recapping on something that you did with some teachers that was a bit of a highlight in education for you. Well, it has been, and um, when I retired in 2006, I still wanted to have some connection to schools. And as I was working on some project, we were looking at transition from class to class, and I particularly focused on preschool into main school, which here is kindergarten, various other places, it's foundation or prep. And um, Berry, which is close by where I live now, um, mm-hmm. was a perfect example because the children there, most of the kids that little preschool there went on to Berry Public School. So I followed them over a series of weeks in the preschool, looking at what sort of literacy learning, I suppose, or what was what appeared to be literacy that was happening around them, and um, and then into kindergarten where literacy suddenly was everywhere <laughs> and mm, more, mm. much more formal. I also knew the principal of that school quite well because I've worked with him up at Hurstville in Sydney when I was with the department. So I knew him well and he, he was very pleased that I should come. And then after that project finished, he... Um, he asked me to stay on because could I please keep coming because they just reviewed and rewritten their literacy strategy for the school and one of the areas that had come through with the need to improve what they call the avid readers, particularly in years four, five and six. And I jumped at the chance because I thought, oh, I always wanted to work more closely with that age group and um, that's where the idea of having a book club came in. And so you came across two teachers there, uh, Susan McAuliffe and Brett Sutton. And, yes. Yeah, and yes, they... eventually I began to work with them because they decided they wanted to bring book up, which I was doing as a pull-out program basically on, on Monday afternoons. 
and with their students that were coming mostly to my book club. And they could see that there was an improvement in the kids and the confidence and so on. And, um, and they wanted to embed it in the classroom. So they decided to team teach um, with the principal's permission and had a classroom where they could open the petitions and the pair of them could team teach the all six children um, where necessary or have them cross over into the different groups wherever we needed that. And um, so we sat down and worked out a, a system for doing what I was doing in the library one hour a week um, into how that would work into a classroom situation one hour a week with three of us. And going back a step, there was some foundational research that um, came from Frank Smith that informed a concept of what he called reading like a writer. Can you tell yes, us a yes. bit about that? Well, I can. Um it's a pet love of mine, I think. It's one of these things that you read and it just suddenly hits you and you think, that's perfect. That's just what I've been thinking for many years. Way, way back when I was working in the Department of Education, my friend and colleague Andrea Butler, who now lives in America, she and I were working on a book that we called actually Towards a Reading and Writing Classroom because we both had a very strong view that if you can read then you should be able to write writers can't really write very well if they never read basically with our thoughts and andrea's background had been very much in literature and children's literature whereas mine had been much more in reading and early reading hers had been more with upper primary kids and so we wrote this book for peter primary english teaching association and um and around that time we also but there was a, an article written by Frank Smith called Reading Like a Writer in Language Arts. And I read it and thought, this is exactly what I, I've been trying to articulate. I think it was the, probably the best. Mm. I was never a great writer, I didn't think. And I still don't think I'm a great writer, but at least I, I started to realize I can write. And I mm. knew that from what I was beginning to produce, from what I, and then I'd go back to what I'd read. For instance, if I, when I went out of the classroom to become a consultant in the schools, I had to start writing memos and things like that to schools, etc. And I had no idea how to write them. How did I find out? Well, I used to get copies of somebody else's work and read through it carefully and work out how to do it for my writing. Oh, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the first step in my head of reading like a writer. I, I put my head, if you like, into the shoes of that particular genre or whatever you want to call it and I wasn't calling it that then and I probably still don't but then at least I was much more successful in being able to produce these pieces of required text that had to go out to schools or whatever. So Andrew and I started experimenting with that in classrooms um, and we had various people writing and trialling it including people like Lorraine Wilson down in Victoria and people up in Queensland and then we pulled all that together to put that book together, which um, I think was a bestseller of Peter's until Bev Derryanka's book came along. And then when we read Frank Smith's book, he talks about reading like a writer. And that was a term he used all the way through this article and in other works that he's written since. And Well, actually, sadly, he's died since. Mm. But this was back in 83. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of the things that he particularly said were children must read like a writer in order to learn to write like a writer. 
Right, right. And that's what I guess got me really thinking over the years. How do you do this, and how do you get teachers learning how to do that? Yeah, yeah. And another quote which I'd like to use that Smith wrote, which became our mantra when we started with Book Club. I actually got Sue and Brett to read the 83 article that Smith had written. But Smith stated really clearly in his article, and it's, it's really common sense, but it actually comes through in a lot of other research that's happened since. Um, to read like a writer, he said, we must do it in a special way, oh. which I found myself doing often. We must perceive ourselves to be writers. That's a first. Right. We must read in a way, namely, in other words, we must engage with the author as a teacher or a mentor of the writing so that we start to see the author differently, not just as somebody telling a story. And then we need to get inside the head of the author so that we can understand how and why the author's chosen the particular words or whatever expressions even down to punctuation and grammar that's needed to make the piece of writing engaging. So the writer's craft, really, isn't it? Yeah. It is, and it's what Donald Gray called writer's craft. Right. And then when I heard Donald Gray speak about craft, I thought, wow, here's another one. And there were a whole lot of people around that time. Donald Murray, and Donald Murray's quoted as saying in, in 1985 and then again in 2004 that every writer is a reader. Usually we put it around the other way, but every writer is a reader. Mm, mm. To teach writing, we must teach reading. And over the years that I've been working in with the curriculum and curriculum development in reading, we constantly talked about reading, 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 reading. And poor old writing, I always used to say, was a second cousin to reading. Yeah, yeah. We rarely talked about writing and the importance of writing and where that... And as a teacher, classroom teacher in my early years, I had a year two over a period of time. They hated writing. It was always on a Wednesday. And I hated teaching it mm, mm. because it was always so controlled, so one-shot draft and so on, which, of course, Donald Graves shot that myth down. And I thought, right, like you, <laughs> mm. I like what you have to say. So our mantra that underpinned Book Club, basically, um, came from Frank Smith, who in his article, he wrote... The author becomes an unwitting collaborator, put in brackets, teacher, bit by bit, one thing at a time, but enormous amounts of things over the passage of time, the learner learns through reading like a writer, to write like a writer. So that was, and I called it our mantra, the children in our groups, as well as the teachers, Sue and Brett, we read that often to the children and actually had it up on a, a sheet in the classroom. So the children and, were aware of this too? Oh, constantly, yes. Yeah. Every group that we began each year, that was something that I would read over and over or say over and over to them. And then often when we were listening to their writing, which I'll come to later, but I'd say, oh, I can see that you've been reading like a writer because you're now writing like that writer. Yeah. So it's quite a quite an amazing uh, group of people at that time who were into it, this sort of research. And I can almost see today there's such an emphasis on reading where we're not, not connecting the writing with it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the work of Bev Derebianka began to reconnect, if you like, but the focus went so strongly on functional grammar 
and then of course assessing uh, students' work through the functional grammar that it became so formulaic, and um, and Bev herself was devastated by the way that happened. But Bev also researched that whole area, but took it from a much more of a grammar perspective, as as has Beryl Exley over the years. But their focus is much more on unpacking the grammar that looks at the... I was trying to not necessarily dig into any one particular area of writing, but the overall, I guess, outcome of the writing, did it engage you as a reader? Did it serve its purpose? Did it... Um, what the audience wanted, and put that into the student's perspective. Is that what you as a student wanted? Mm. Did you engage in that? Or if you didn't, why not? What was wrong with it? Why didn't you get past the first two or three chapters? So do you um, think we uh, lost sight of Frank Smith's um, reading like a writer idea? I think, yep. Yeah, I, I would argue yes. And I haven't been in schools recently, I must say, but just as an aside, I've um, used guinea pigs, if you like, my... Three nephews, who now are both adults, um, actually in their almost 50, Um, and they all are prolific writers and love writing personally and and write in their particular areas. Um, One is an associate professor in um, zoology over at Western Sydney Uni, and the other just works at National Parks, but he writes because he enjoys writing. But they were my guinea pigs in the 80s. I had them at <laughs> I used to have them in my house on the weekends. Right. And I would say to them, let's have a go at doing this. And I would trial something and read them and I'd say, you have a go at writing like that. And they, they would. I mean, and what they learned out of all that, those three anyway, or my younger nephew too, um, was that they can do it. Yeah. And... Yeah. When they can do it the way they want to do it, they can enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Now, then with my great, I've got great nieces and nephews now, when we all get together, one of the things we do is in the afternoon after we've been swimming and everyone's tired, I gave them all a book and a pen, and some pencils, and I used to say, right, let's do writing time. And we called it power writing, as we did in Story Club. And I'm getting away from that. But what's interesting is that there's six of them, three yep, in each yep. from each of my nephews. They actually all like to write and enjoy writing. Mm. Not necessarily mm. do they write novels, for goodness sake, but they, they know they can write. And that's the difference. They know they can if they have to. I just find it really interesting that there were such amazing ideas that came out of that period in the 80s, but uh, we kind of lost sight of... Because even today, I think we're not connecting the reading and the writing. We're we're looking at reading and focusing on that a lot. Um, No, and I think NAPLAN's, we won't go too far in that, but I think NAPLAN has done a lot to destroy that too. Um, However, that's another story. (laughs) But I think Frank Smith also talked about assessment and how that can be detrimental to where you're going in the the learning. Oh, yes, yes. And that's something, again, when we did the... um, the book club, and I introduced what McCrory um, years ago talked about as being free writing, as did um, Donald Murray. But <laughs> it was quite a common activity to do in back in the 80s and early 90s, just to write, 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 and not to worry about what punctuation, spelling, grammar, just to get the ideas on the page. And um, what we call power writing, in other words, the image of building up your muscles and your skills so you can you know, do the writing you have to do, basically, was the idea. 
that gave the kids that sort of opportunity to write without worrying about being assessed. Yeah. We didn't assess anything. No, no. So, um, so getting to, I guess we've been talking about the research and uh, where it's gone in education now, but your book club idea at Berry Street was to try and get some of the research ideas into practice with some children and, and teachers yes. there. And why did you choose book club? And then we'll go into, you know, what was the structure of it. But, but Okay, well, yeah. the principal at the time had asked me, would I stay in the school? And I said, well, I don't know what I'll do, but I, you know, I'll try. And, and we talked about the avid readers. And, um, and Peter said, well, you know, we've got some really good readers here in this school and I don't think they're being challenged. Their teachers are concerned that they can't challenge them. They're spending too much time working with the struggling readers in year five, six, and the middle readers are, you know, getting there sort of thing. So I started by actually withdrawing this group who had been identified by their teachers into the library and um, with the help of the librarian, Di Hill, we'd choose a particular book We'd actually ask the parents to buy the book for the kids. And, well, we started doing it in lunch hour. (laughs) That didn't last too long because by winter, the boys wanted to go and play soccer and and some of the girls too, of course. So we then moved it into the library um, in the afternoon for an hour. And um, that was the start. Now, it was during the time that I had them in the library that I found that we were starting to get a bit bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because I had this thought in my head about reading and writing connections, and I used to talk to them about that, I thought, well, let's trial it. So we started to trial power writing within that one-hour structure. And it was very successful. There were several assumptions or, if you like, goals that I set for the children. I said, we're not going to do this to produce great writers. Mm-hmm. At the end of the time that we're doing it, as in over several weeks, if you're able to say to me at the end of that time, I think I can write, or I'm no longer don't like writing. I don't mind writing. I said, you don't have to love it, but I would like you to think that you can write. If you can read, you can write. And I kept telling them, if you can read, you can write if you never read, you can't write because you wouldn't know what to say. So that started us, and I just started it with the free writing and then allowing the group to share. It was a bit of a um, schmozzle, I can say. Yep, yep. It needed more structure, yep. but it was working in the sense that the children wanted to come to book club. They'd remind their teacher after the break, we used to have an afternoon recess there, and they'd remind them at two o'clock, oh, we've got to go to book club, and off they'd come. Mm. So Sue particularly got very interested in it, and um, I mean, they're both great teachers, but Sue was a great innovative teacher. She loved to take new ideas and adapt them into what she was doing or how she should teach and so on. In all the years I worked near her, beside her, with her, I never heard her ever put a kid down. She always said to all her kids, you can do this, you know, you can do better than this. So with that attitude and Brett working alongside her, who who had a wonderful way with kids, he's since retired and enjoying camping. (laughs) (laughs) And we sat down Christmas holidays, 
the boss had given them permission to team teach and we sat down and started to look at how we could develop a structure that would work with the three groups and um, I would take the avid readers in the library, Sue would take the struggling readers because that was an area that she enjoyed working with and Brett would take the middle group. So with 60 odd kids we had about 20 children each and then we had to think through a, a structure obviously that all three would follow and a one hour time slot and it couldn't be more than one hour because they couldn't fit more than one hour into their day. I couldn't go more than any other day than a Monday to start with because that just fitted into my university work, etc. So Monday morning was not the best time to be running something like that mm. when usually it's introducing spelling and various other things of the week. And we lost Mondays because of holidays. But that was where we started and we trialled it. And that first year the principal was Peter and then it changed to Bob Willits. But both of them wanted to pay me and I said, I don't want pay, I just want to do this. It's something always I've believed in and I want to work with the teachers and do it. They're great teachers, let's just do it. And um, instead of paying me, they released Brett and Sue from the classroom. At first it was one day a term and we would sit and reflect. Sue and Brett would gather data from the kids, interview them and so on and just look at their writing and and their reading, or just the attitude to writing, basically, during the school day. Because they had to follow a curriculum. I didn't have to follow the curriculum. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they had to produce, they had to get their kids producing pieces of writing in different genres and that sort of thing. So my role wasn't to do that. My role was just to actually help them, um, I guess, what I'd call adopt something, then adapt it and create it in ways that they felt was best to use in the classroom. So what were you actually, you guys all doing? What was the structure of this? Well, we had to consider timing. I mean, you only had an hour. So we had to consider how much time to spend on what. And we had to consider across a school term, giving kids a particular novel, which by this time, the principal had decreed that the money would be allocated to the literacy team to buy the 20 books for each group and they, they put through the library so Die Hill got them ready to be done and choosing the books was one thing that was one thing we had to do the other thing we had to do was to make sure that the books would I guess have some appeal to both male and female students Die Hill's librarian took every child at least once a week and so she had a sense of what sort of books the kids would like we decided on using Australian authors only and if possible fairly recent books that these authors had written so that the kids hadn't read them all before and thought, oh, we read this. Mm, <laughs> um, mostly the kids hadn't read any of the books that we chose, particularly the avid readers. And then we had to have a think about how much time would we spend to introducing each session and what would we do across the term so that was sort of a mapping across the term. Then a time for discussing something about what they've been reading and then the writing component and then the sharing component. And um, the sharing of writing became really important, we found, 
and they shared only in a group because we broke the kids into, for instance, my group of 20 would be usually in groups of five, four or five, but depending. And one of them would be, we decided, or Sue decided this, that we should have a group leader and that leader could rotate, but the leader had a responsibility to keep the group working as they were supposed to, either discussing questions or in the writing, sharing the writing and making sure everybody shared their writing and choosing the person who was going to, at the end of the whole session, pulling it together, that there'd be at least four or five people out the front who were going to share with the whole group. So sharing became critical and actually also became a lesson for the rest of the group to listen to. So that had to be sorted out. We met in the school holidays before we started, for two days actually, um, to sort those things out and then listed the things that we had to get done. We spent the first three weeks of the first year with me just visiting the groups and talking to them about general writing things and introducing what power writing was. And I did that with the whole 60 kids, with Sue and, and Brett working with them and so on, so that we got that process, if you like, for the children across so that it didn't matter about spelling, it didn't matter about writing. They just had to get the ideas down. Yeah, yeah we've called it um, quick writing, but, yeah, there's various names for it, isn't it? That's there? right, there's various yeah. names for it. It's yeah. not you, it's no, nothing you. no, no. But it plays a really, really important role in this process because, to give you an example, I might have been doing a book, say, by Jackie French. We did The Goat Who Sailed the World, a historical novel, and we talked about... We did another book that she did, which was Pennies for Hitler, which, again, was very interesting and part historical. But Jackie has got a really good way of... I say good way, she's an excellent writer, but the way she writes was not as complex, if you like, for us to unpack and demonstrate ideas and things with all sorts of things like grammar, um, structures and so on. You were looking for the writer's craft within these um, novels. Yeah, and some writers are much more complex, I suppose, in putting that together, but they do make a good novel, but it wasn't as easy, I guess, for teachers to unpack it. Um, Roald Dahl was another great one for the Sue used um, Roald Dahl obviously not an Australian author but she found that was really good for the slow readers Um, but I'll come back to that I mean I'm going back to the example sorry Mm -hmm. one of the things that Jackie French was doing a lot in these books and she does it quite frequently in all her books um, and others may do it too but it was something I found is she puts in a lot of rhetorical questions, which, of course, raise tension, give a hint about what might be coming, but not necessarily do you know. So you want to turn the page to read on. So it it engages the reader. So I spent time identifying these in particular pages in the books the kids were reading. And, um, And then when they'd have sharing time in power writing, somebody may put in a rhetorical question. So I'd say, oh, that's a great example of reading like a writer. That's what Jackie French does. Okay, yep. And and that's another thing I guess I had to make sure I, I mean, I realized I did that I had to teach the teachers was to make sure that they introduced the writers as a person. It wasn't just somebody out there who wrote a book. Oh. 
but Jackie French is a person. I mean, Jackie French actually doesn't live too far away from Berry School and has visited the school. But whoever, the writer is a person and the writer talks to you through what they put on the page. And we always would spend time again during the first few weeks of introducing our novels of meeting the writer. So Morris Gleitzman, we went to his webpage and then Morris came to one of the ALIA sessions and I talked to him about could he talk to us and he, he was going to do a Skyping session with us. He, we didn't end up doing that, but he did email me and sent messages to the children. So it became more personal if we could do that. But making sure the kids realised that the author was Jackie French or Morris Gleisman or Libby Cleason or whatever, whoever, I mean, mm. um, they were actually listening to these people as writers and learning from these people. So, you know, what did Jackie teach you about such and such? Or what did Libby teach you about mm. this? Mm. Morris Gleitzman's humour. How does Morris get humour into this passage was the question I would ask the children. And then they'd start to pick up on the way he would put words together that would make it humorous. And interestingly, it didn't take long for them to pick that up in their power writing, particularly the boys. They became very quick at doing that. Yep, yep. Uh, so those sort of examples then, you couldn't just leave them go. One of the things I had to make sure that I did and Sue and Brett did and any other teacher who came in and worked with on release or on relief or whatever understood was that they had to listen carefully to the children's writing. They had to have read the book. They had to get that sense of reading like a writer as well and find, identify, I guess, when a child had done something in the writing that was what we were trying to demonstrate in from the text. Say, ah, listen to that and highlight it for the rest of the class to hear. And sometimes I might do that just when I did my roving around when they were writing. And I'd say to a kid, can I read that little bit to everybody for you and just show them what you've done? And the kids thought that was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. But what you were doing was you were teaching explicitly to the rest of the group exactly that piece of text, a piece of grammar, even the use of punctuation, and so on. Yeah, I can't say it was ever mapped out week by week we're going to do these things. Right, right. It had to happen, you know, a teachable moment that we talked about for years and trying to make sure that you grabbed a teachable moment and, and made that explicit when it happened. And you could be recording what you've been covering. I mean, it, it's really using the uh, the author as the the guide to the literary devices and techniques that are being used. Yes. And the teachers are identifying them in the children's power writing and, and the kids are starting to identify them themselves. Yes. Um, but you can easily keep a record of all those things that have been uh, covered, can't you? Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. And one of the things that we... By about the third year of doing this, we, we started keeping um, much better records because that was starting to be much more required by the department mm. for lots of reasons. So we surveyed the students at the end of each, usually the second term, just to get their sense of, and it was a very simple survey, like 
are they enjoying this? Are they enjoying that? Do they think they'd be a better reader now? Do they think they're a better writer? And they either ticked a box, which was no, maybe, yes, or something. It was very mm. simple. Mm. But when we pulled all that together over a period of a few years, what was coming through was that not necessarily with the reading, but particularly with the writing, there was a, a change in their attitude and confidence about themselves as writers. And at the the very last part of the survey, we asked them what did they think they learned about writing, what strategies they learned, the skills they learned from reading um, the novels, etc., from the writers that they were reading. Mm, mm. And very specific things came through, like short sentences um, build tension. Um, wow. Things like short sentences and, and long sentences are important. Just, just something like that, you know, that they had a recognition that you could use these short sentences to do things and then you could have a big long sentence. And I didn't call them anything else but short and long. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the things, of course, that they picked up very quickly is you can start sentences with and <laughs> and you can start sentences with but. Yeah. But um, they have a particular purpose. When you do use and, it has a particular purpose. Ellipse, we learn talk about ellipses and when you use it and when you can't and what does it mean? Now, that's wow. all part of the curriculum, Incredible. but I never used it in that way. Yeah. But they identified that in the writing and then we would add the words in it, um, alliteration, uh, those sorts of things. Um, they learned that and they identified in the in the surveys that we did. Hmm. And we'll take a break there from part one of our podcast. We look forward to you joining us for part two. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.